We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company, uh, coming at you Saturday afternoon. It's still April 22nd. I think it was just starting to be April 22nd when I did my uh, immediate recap off of Game 3 there. Uh, In this episode, we're going to kind of look ahead uh, to Game 4 of of Wolves Nuggets. Last night, Kyle and I, that episode felt a little bit more like a funeral, (laughs) less so like like basketball. I mean, in, in ways, has this has this Wolves series like lost its luster? Yes, but you know, I'm gonna keep doing podcasts. If I did podcasts back in uh, October discussing preseason games, I, I think we can definitely talk about Game Four here. And to do that, I'm joined by uh, Ryan Blackburn, who is out here in Minneapolis actually covering the Nuggets for Mile High Sports. Ryan, have you uh, got out in the beautiful late April weather? <laughs> Media, it's it's cloudy right now, but it's supposed to get up to thirty nine degrees this afternoon. I'm just saying. Hey, man! It's sometimes you just gotta you gotta brave the elements a little bit. It's uh, I mean, being in Denver, we we're we're still pretty used to it, and and we we would get snow every Wednesday uh for for like three straight months uh, in Denver. I don't know why that was, but that just was a very weird, quirky thing. But. Uh, I've been walking around. It's, it's it's a really nice city you guys got in Minneapolis. I've been I've been really enjoying the really enjoying the views, and I got it got a nice got some nice Indian food uh, a couple of days ago. So that was uh, that was pretty good. Okay, okay. Well, I'll I'll see you over on uh, my side of the the neighborhood when you come over here for uh, the the happy hour this afternoon. We'll show you around some oh, other some I other parts it. of town. Um, but my plan today is just to like fire a bunch of questions at you. I've I've talked way too much about this team and uh, about this series and you know whether it's with Harrison or Adam as I have kind of throughout the season I I really like just in general the idea of you know talking about uh, a Wolves opponent through the lens of the Wolves like in a way right like how they are it's just different right like you guys see the team differently than we do even though we're might be like more intimately close to it we i think you can sometimes miss some things uh in the closeness so uh, i'm looking forward to just bouncing some things off of you in terms of denver and and specifically this series and maybe a little bit bigger picture uh like you alluded to uh with the wolves but i'll just start by asking you what has surprised you most about what the wolves have not been able to do in this series through three games kind of like what what weaknesses do Den- does Denver have that the Wolves have not been able to exploit through through three games? Yeah, I was just not impressed with the way that the Timberwolves have held the pressure, if I'm being honest. I, I think that this this team is a little bit more veteran than I think a lot of people realize. Like there, There's a lot of vets on this group that should be able to handle uh, the ups and downs, the adjustments, the pressure, the physicality, and... Uh, I, I keep coming back to Carl Anthony Towns, if I'm being honest. He's the guy that if you are wanting to see this Timberwolves team have the success that they need to have, Carl Anthony Towns, is the, he's got to be that dude. and He's got to be that consistent force. And, and he found some stuff in game three. But even while watching it in the building in game three, I, I still didn't feel like he had that yeah. 
legitimate impact that you needed in all aspects of the game that that a star needs to have in those moments. And I, I see it with Ants. I see him like always uh, putting the pedal to the metal. He's learning. He's doing a lot of great things that way. And, and he's just so talented. Like the block that he had last night uh, on the KCP was just ludicrous. Uh, but it, in in all other aspects, like I feel like this team, this Timberwolves team, just they just have not been able to slow down Denver at all on the offensive end for one. Uh, but even like when when the T Wolves are running their own offense, it, it has felt like they've had to struggle through the muck at times trying to get good shots and spacing the floor is a problem. Not really a surprise when it comes to the personnel, uh, but. In general, like it, it just feels like they're they're going through the grind right now, and they haven't been through this moment. And uh, when you have a team that hasn't really played together that much, these are the the bumps and bruises along the way that you need to learn. And so I I just don't know if they have the time to learn them. To, to the cap point, um, and related to an in, th- an in theory Denver weakness or a regular season weakness, and how I came into this series thinking a time the Wolves could make hay was specifically in the minutes that Jokic is off the floor and by having Cat out there, you know, to to do work. I mean, the the matchup, I, mean, I know DeAndre Jordan, has, he played in game one some, but it's it's pretty much been Jeff Green slash Aaron Gordon as as the backup five uh, for, for Denver. And so first, I'm just curious, like, what has, I know it's been a problem, maybe you can just talk about that, uh, the non-Jokic minutes. I know that's a multiple-year issue for them. But has this been the best backup center move during the regular season of like going with Gordon slash Green at the five in, in those minutes? Is is that what works best for them? For sure. It, it's okay. one thing that Denver hasn't really done, that they didn't really do a lot during the regular season, was trying out Aaron Gordon as that backup five. I, I think we saw this with the Golden State Warriors a little bit when they're trying to run their death lineup. Hmm. They wouldn't run Draymond Green at center that much during those regular seasons to try to save his minutes, to try to conserve his energy a little bit. And the Nuggets took the long view on that. Most of what they did during the regular season was just stagger Murray, just stagger KCP, just stagger Porter. Uh, they They didn't stagger multiple starters all that often. And this is a new thing that the Nuggets are really trying. They've really tightened their rotation in that way this this series, and I think it's benefiting them in those non-Jokic minutes for sure because they just have fewer minutes where they have their ninth, 10th, or 11th guy out there, and, and that's going to matter for a team that isn't really that deep in Denver, but they've got a great top seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I, I ran through these these numbers last night, but I'll say them again here. Just I mean, this is just the, the massive indictment to me of of the of the series is not being able to take advantage of Jokic being off the floor. I mean, during the regular season, the the Nuggets outscored opponents by 640 points when Jokic was on the floor, about 2300 minutes. Jokic off the floor about 1700 minutes minus 367. So we had a cool. pattern of like I mean, it's was terrible uh when and I'm sure some of that's clouded by like some games maybe he didn't play at all, but I do know that this has been a multiple years long issue. And then now when I'm looking at it for these three games, they've been positive all three games in the non-Jokic minutes. I mean, game one, game one plus 15 with Jokic on, plus 14 with Jokic off when he was in that foul trouble. And then things kind of got out of hand in the fourth quarter. Game two, plus six with Jokic on, plus three with Jokic off. And there was only 11 minutes that, that he was off. They still won those. Game three, then last night, plus four with Jokic on, plus three with Jokic off. I mean, <laughs> it it's, I, I don't know. I, I find that particularly given what the identity of the Timberwolves is supposed to be in terms of roster construction and size and physicality, that they haven't remotely been able to hurt Denver's lack of size when, when Jokic is off the floor. And I do think a lot of that, you know, does have to do with Carl. I think it's, I will say this, I think it's a good idea that they are approaching it the way they are in terms of going with Green and Gordon as the the options on Cat. That, over the past couple of years, has been the the best way, I think, to guard Cat. We, we always hear talk about, like, Batuming Cat, where, you know, they put mm. Batum on him and then they have Zubats or whoever kind of lurk over for the double once he starts going. But, I mean, 
it hasn't even been that. Like they haven't even really been doubling or loading up on Carl at all. It's kind of just been like Gordon or Green just guarding them one on one. And they're Denver's focusing their loading on on Ant. So I'm with you 100%. And yes, Carl had 27 last night. But like, I mean, that should kind of be like a 40 to me, you know, it, particularly if they're not going to adjust and they're going to continue to just be like, all right, like, we'll live with Cat one-on-one against Green and Gordon. I mean, I, it's probably fair to say, too, that Green and Gordon have done a, I know Gordon's got picks up some fouls, but like, Green and Gordon have done a good job in that role, right? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think Gordon especially has really shined in that role. He was brought in to be Denver's big forward defender, their LeBron James defender, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, guys like that. Those guys are too strong for the smaller guys. But uh, ever since like Porter's come back, ever since Denver's added more perimeter defenders to their rotation, he's kind of trended towards bigger matchups. And it's something that they haven't done a whole heck of a lot. But the fact is, is that Towns is, is more emblematic of that Luca, LeBron, Kawhi range, then he is a true center. Yeah. Like in terms of That's his actual strength. That's crazy to strength, think about, but like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. In, t- in terms of just like what, what he could actually do from a, a physicality perspective, he doesn't have a ton of post moves. He doesn't have a ton of like, like, like posting up, right? Like, like ducking in right into the paint and, and, and shooting over guys. That's he's just, just not something that he does. Spot. I mean, he's, he's catching like, he needs to do his work earlier and get on the block. Like, he can't. Like Coral has a strong like left shoulder, right hand jump hook, but Gordon and Green are just fighting him to the spot. And and to your point about the physicality, like Carl is consistently losing or not even like fighting in that battle. I'm like, all right, I'll just catch it at 19 feet, you know. And then at that point, what are we doing? And then the other thing is when he's facing up, he's driving into the shoulder of one of those guys, but he's not driving straight forward. He's shooting at angles. He's yeah. falling away. He's like fading. It's it's just not a, it is not the shooting profile of a star. Yeah. It's just not. And you have to have a guy that is willing and able to get to the spots on the floor that they need to get to. And, and he's just not capable of doing that in this series against that particular matchup. And that, that really, I think probably defines this. It's why Denver has, has had success defensively, even if they can't really guard ant, like they've, <laughs> they've really struggled with ant for sure. But when you can load up two guys on him and then guard Carl with one guy, that's a, uh, it, it makes it really easy for, for Denver to game plan in this series. And I, I just don't think the Minnesota's really caught them with anything surprising. Yeah. What, uh, outside of Carl, I mean, what, what, what vices, other vices have you seen for this team? And then I, I think as you alluded to, Ant has kind of been the, the virtue in this, what, what outside of Carl has stood out to you from a Minnesota perspective? It's the lack of shooting. It's, it's the lack of spacing, uh, from, from that perspective. And that's always going to happen when you play two bigs, but more than that, when you have Kyle Anderson out there, and there was a lineup that they ran last night where Ant was the smallest guy on the floor, but I think it was Kyle Anderson who was running the de facto point guard minutes without yeah. Conley out there. But like when you have that much size out there, it makes things easier for Denver from an interior defense perspective. They just got to shrink the floor. They just can't give up open outside shots, but like close out hard. But you're, you're always going to default to just trying to protect the paint and. I th- I think that it makes it easier when Minnesota doesn't have a legit floor spacer out there. A- and if Carl can't be that guy and he just hasn't shot the ball well this series, that's that's a really big issue. Uh like it, it's uh it's that it is the fact that Gobert like he he's had some really good moments offensively I think in this series where he's he's rolling down the middle of the floor, he's grabbing offensive rebounds, he's doing great things. But he just hasn't made it difficult for Jokic enough. Yeah. Like that's that's probably the other thing when you have when you have to go to that matchup and you can't double because of Jokic and and his passing ability. Gobert has to be able to guard him one on one. Had some good moments in the first two games, but I thought in game three Jokic just really uh, blew open that matchup in in important ways. And if if you're the T Wolves, like you just you're just running out of answers in terms of how you want to guard mm-hmm. the opposing the opposing team and. Denver, I think they've really taken advantage of the fact that you have to have Nikhil Alexander Walker out there in order to guard Murray, yeah. or else you're not going to be able to stop Murray. 
And, and then if you load up to Murray, then it, it makes it easier for everybody else. Uh, Denver just has too many answers, and I just don't think that Minnesota really has enough. I, uh, Ryan, I, I try and mix in a couple audio clips from from the locker room afterwards, and I, I think I, th- those are, I want to touch on all of those things. But uh, let me just play this on uh, Conley. I, I think it was me. I asked him about the spacing last night. Mike, what differences did you see in the spacing offensively tonight compared to the kind of second half of game three when you guys were, or game two when you guys were kind of rolling out? Um, I think, like I said, it, it, when we were rolling in, you know, game two and that, that, that period of time, we were really kind of cutting, moving a lot and like creating lanes for people. I think tonight things got a little stagnant and a little bit jumbled up in the paint. And when that happens, you get two or three guys in a small space and, you know, Guys can easily get a hand on the you know tip of the ball or you know cause a turnover and you know different situations like that and our spacing just was you know we need to be two more steps in the corner as opposed to inching up to the ball and um, and those are things those are like those sacrifices that you have to make for each other off the ball um, even if you're not getting it just being able to cut being able to move and we just lack that you know I think late in the game. Ryan, I just think it's we talked last night it's it's those small things right. I mean, it, it's it's those two steps to the corner that that Mike's talking about. It, it's it's being extremely intentional, right? And when I just kind of reflect on this this series overall, and what specifically what I've seen from Denver, and and not just in this playoff series, but all season when I've watched them, is like the intention to the specifics, right? And and that's like the boring stuff, right? Like I, I get that that's not fun to do when when you're playing basketball, but it is something that the teams, the elite teams do, particularly the teams that are elite in, you know, in, in late late game execution, as as Denver has, you know, repeatedly shown the ability to do. So my question to you, this is maybe like going back a couple of years, like, did that take time? Because that's what everyone kept saying last night is we're, we're asking about this stuff. They're like, oh, you know, Denver's been doing it forever. And, you know, we've had all these injuries and all this stuff and we haven't had the time to find it. Did you, do you feel like with Denver that sort of meticulous execution was a product of time or was it coaching? Was it personnel? Like why are they so much better at that than Minnesota is? You say that. And and it reminded me of a very specific example of Michael Malone stressing to Michael Porter Jr. in press conferences with the, mm-hmm. with the media he has to get to the corner in transition. He has to get to the corner. Yeah. He has to get to the corner because what that does and, and what it does for everybody else is it's an unselfish play where you have to run baseline to baseline, basically. And you are either going to get an open three off the rotation or you're not. And you're doing your job no matter what. Yeah. Uh, this Nuggets team has talked about we over me uh, just intensely over the course of these last couple years everything was you know, very you know, much put a, on hold you know that's a flip Say it again. Sa- that's a flip saunders thing ryan saunders that yeah. was that was the, that was the shirt that said we over me that was that was a flip line it, it makes a lot of like yeah ryan saunders who's the the defensive coordinator in denver now he's he's uh i think is a a better defensive coach than the numbers suggest uh and I, i'm sure minnesota fans are very aware of the numbers there uh, but no, it's been it's been a really interesting experience watching this team because sometimes they would slack on the details during the regular season too. I, I do think that that was one of the it was one of the things that the media and fans had a little bit of concern about heading into these playoffs. Was, are they going to be as precise on the details as as everybody knows that they need to be? As everybody knows that they have to execute in order to be the championship team that people people are hoping for and. and they flipped a switch. They they absolutely flipped a switch in terms of their attention to detail, their execution, their focus, their discipline, every single aspect of that. You want it, they got it. And it does take time to develop, but they did show aspects of that during the regular season throughout. They worked on these things. They talked about it in training camp. This is who we have to be. This is like, you can't talk about it, be about it. Yeah. And it's there's just a lot of that messaging where, if you're a T-Wolves fan, I'm sure you're probably shaking your head right now just seeing the the differences in, in how that's being approached. But uh, for the Nuggets, this is they know that this is their time. They know that they have a chance here, and they've gone out of their way 
regardless of stats, regardless of numbers, to to try to make it happen. And and I I do think that there is a visceral difference there. Yeah, it's it is not something the Wolves did during the regular season either. You know that that all good teams have that baked into their identity. I mean, the 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 good teams that we also on our next breath say they're a little sloppy. Those actually aren't the good teams. They're they're certainly not they're certainly not the great ones. And yeah, that's what that's what's sticking out to me from a, a Denver's perspective is they they seem to be a good team that does that stuff. Which to me now I'm a an even bigger believer that they are in fact a a great team here. Ryan, let's uh let's grab our first break. Uh, go a little bit bigger picture here. Um, want to ask you a, a couple yeah bigger picture questions about the Wolves, Tim Conley. But we'll grab our first break. We'll be back with Ryan. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. If you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all, this one is for you. It's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it, if you don't look good, you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care and use Land and Lore. Your partner will thank you. And we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20CAVEMAN at checkout on Amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer. And extra credit if you leave a review. That's 20CAVEMAN for 20% off land and lore at Amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with land and lore today. Your face and your partner will thank you for it. Today's show is brought to you by Aura. You've seen Aura's brand plastered all over Timberwolves games and broadcasts from the jersey patch to the brand's name being in the background of all the press conferences. And from that, you probably know that Aura is a digital security company, but you might not know what it actually functionally looks like to use a digital security company. That's why Aura would love for you to try their product out and to try it for free. If you go to Aura.com slash Dane and use that exact URL, A-U-R-A dot com, Slash Dane, Aura will give you, as Wolves fans, a two-week free trial of their product. You might be thinking that you don't need to have your personal information protected, and even more, you might feel like that's something you can't afford right now. So I think this is a good way to try it out, figure out if this is a product that is for you. Because again, you can try it for free. So familiarize yourself with Aura by starting a two-week trial at aura.com slash Dane. Many of you do a great job of supporting advertisers on this show, which I'm really grateful for, as that's what makes this podcast happened. Would love for you to check out Aura's digital security. Again, Aura.com slash Dane. All right. We are back with uh, Ryan Brack- Blackburn. Blackburn? I'm going to mess that up. Ryan Blackburn. <laughs> I, I, I get it all the time. I say it all the time. It's okay. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't feel I don't feel that. Actually, you know, let, let's uh, let's plug uh, Ryan here a little bit. You're NBA Blackburn on Twitter, right? And uh, obviously you're doing uh, writing uh, all the time for, for Mile High Sports, but also the pickaxe and roll uh, podcast. I think if there was, it's a good podcast. I've listened to it. Uh, but if there's ever a time for my listeners to to check it out, if you haven't totally put a fork in this series, uh, check out what uh, Ryan is doing over there uh, in his in his Nuggets coverage. Uh, but Ryan, next thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, I'm sitting here this morning and trying to put my head in the you know the Denver mind, right? And 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 thinking about that connected to the Wolves and. I'm thinking about this window for Denver that, you know, over the past couple of years and probably extends a couple more years is like their biggest threat in theory from a other team's team building wise standpoint is teams that have put all their chips in the middle, right? Like the, the Suns come to mind, obviously the Clippers, the Lakers in ways, or it's teams that have a young and clearly up and coming star, you know, the Grizzlies with Ja, the Mavs with Luca, maybe the Pelicans with Zion, like, again, not just for this season, but for these next few years, like those in theory are the teams that could usurp them, or those would be the the parts of their identity that a team that could be better than Denver would have. And right. I didn't list the Wolves in either of those, but in theory, the Wolves should be both of those things. You know, they they are a team that has all their chips in the middle. They are a team with a young and upcoming star. I mean, what do you think about the Wolves? Obviously, they're not a threat for this season. But do you think of the Wolves at all in that vein of, you know, when you're when you're sitting there in September and you start looking for, for next season in terms of competition in the West or who it could be, you know, that they play in the playoffs? Like, 
do the wolves even come to mind there? I mean, got to back up and, and just acknowledge the fact that Jada McDaniels and Nas Reed both are out. Those are there you go. My, my listeners integ- are loving you right now. There you go. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> integral pieces that I, I do. I I genuinely believe this that if those guys were both healthy, the series would be two one right now as opposed to three zero. Sure. I, I just want to. We'll get that. We'll get mm-hmm. that there. I've always respected the talent on the T Wolves. I, I think that they are. They are a talented group where the direction of it and the plan of it hasn't really executed the way that people hoped. Mm -hmm. And when you list the the teams that you're talking about, the teams that are either all in or the teams that have that young up and coming star, I first think about, okay, do I believe in this plan? Mm -hmm. Do I believe in, in either the player that's at the center of it all? Or do I believe in the team and the vision that they're trying to construct? And like Dallas would be an example of no. Yeah, Dallas, I think, is a no in terms of like, I, I certainly believe in Luca, mm-hmm. but do I believe in the plan and, and the vision that they've organized around him? No. And, and how could how could anybody at sure. this point? Yeah. Um, shout out, shout out to the Phoenix Suns of last year, who, who probably probably should have won that series, if we're being honest. But um, I think that right now, I don't think of the T-Wolves as a threat because I don't understand the plan and and i don't i don't see a great path where they can correct that plan in a in a way that makes sense in a way that maximizes the value in a way that surrounds anthony edwards in the way that he needs to be surrounded uh to actually like like maximize what he's doing he's been unbelievable these last two games and it hasn't felt like it's mattered a ton because denver always had uh, they had the control. They 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 never felt like they really let go of the rope, except in the third quarter of game two. It always felt to me with this last game like they were going to win, despite the fact that they're on the road, despite the fact that yeah. like the game was within five with like six minutes left like to go. That. No, I'm with you, hundred percent. It didn't feel like that, and I I honestly think the the building felt like that too. Yeah. <laughs> like there there was very little belief in Wolves fans last night. And and I get it, I understand, but it it sucks. So I I sympathize and and I understand that like this is this is probably the the central question for T Wolves fans and T Wolves yeah. listeners right now is like, do you believe in the plan? Do you believe in what's happening here? And I know the I answer. Go either that, way, Ryan. but I I don't I don't really think so. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Like just from a right, like strip down all the baggage or whatever right and and you think about all right we have a team with anthony edwards who is one of those stars that does threaten denver's weaknesses right like sure they they can't guard him one-on-one i think if the wolves knew how to run pick and roll they would hurt the denver's pick and roll defense even more and so in some ways my head actually goes to rudy first there right it's like okay like if you know we could start over and you start this series over again, it's like let's attack with Ant. Let's attack the back line of that Denver defense. Let's make it clear that KCP can't guard Ant or Bruce Brown can't guard Ant and force their hand to put Aaron Gordon on him and off of Carl. And then maybe that opens up some of the stuff we were talking about before. But really, I, I would think that with Rudy and Ant in, in pick and roll, Rudy and Donovan Mitchell style, right? Obviously, the problem here in reality is that hasn't been a thing the entirety of this season. There is no pick and roll chemistry between those two. But again, we're, we're talking about like in theory here, archetypes of players. Um, and then also I think about Rudy of like, that should be a pretty good matchup for Jokic, right? I mean, nobody stops Jokic. But sure. but Rudy should be in terms of a like a one on one plan, stay home on shooters type thing. Like Rudy should be one of the best options to put on Jokic in that situation. So I'm like, okay, that you know that makes some sense there. Now again, much like they had the inability to run pick and roll or the desire from Chris Finch's perspective to run pick and roll and really try and punish Denver in that way, they also didn't weaponize Gobert on Jokic in in games one and two or the first six quarters of this series, they switched Gobert onto Jokic in the second half of game two and shocker, like things started going well. Um, But 
I, I think that has been a, a, a foible in the series. But I think, again, like in theory, that's a good way, just with those two, top line, is a good way to like start to be able to compete with Denver, right? Like those, that's Denver's weaknesses. Being able to defend yeah. and pick and roll and when their offense is, you know, slowed down by 10% by the fact that Jokic can't just do whatever he wants, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, the more I start thinking about it, the more I think that a guy like Michael Porter Jr. would be really helpful for, for a team like the T-Wolves, yeah. where you, you have a guy who is just an elite floor spacer that you cannot leave in the half court, where you, you can run that pick and roll, you can run it to death, and you know that if you leave that guy open and and you have him on the weak side of those actions, you try to put the defense in a very compromising position, there are ways that the T-Wolves can turn this around and make it work. Should Carl Anthony Towns be that guy? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't they be able to run totally. like Carl Anthony Towns on the weak side of, of these, these pick but and that's, rolls? Again, Ryan, that's a haven't done it during the regular season thing. And and like obviously part of that's Carl missing fifty two games and all that, but it's not something they did the first twenty one games of the season when you know went before Carl got hurt. It was something as you know as that extended period of time that that Carl was out, we started kind of asking Finch about it. Like, hey, you know, we're seeing we're seeing Ant playing in more spacing and what that's opening up. Like, when Carl is back, what should that do? And I remember the first time we asked Finch about it, he's like. Yeah, we're going to need to park Carl. That's a quote, like park Carl in the corner more often. And it's this like Michael Porter Jr. is like clearly third fiddle on this team. Right. And yeah. or like, I guess, four, or fourth, um, if you if you put him behind both Gordon and Murray. And so it's and that's even been hard, I think, for Michael Porter Jr. over the course of his career. It's like he's never not been a number one guy in his life playing basketball. And so there's this like right. conflict of all right, I'm just a spacer, you know, oh, I do need to just sprint to the corner when we're in transition. Like that's not in his ethos and it's not in Carl's either. And that is, you know, assuming the Wolves do kind of run this back, they need to have a, you know, conversations with kind of everybody on this team about what are sacrifices? What are, what are just adjustments to the way you play basketball that is going to make this work better for the group? I mean, Cat's been a dominant 20, 25 point score for the entirety of his career and really the only place he's never like profited from offensively is the corner and and I think there there's I mean anybody who's played basketball you kind of know that you just feel relegated when you're just sitting in the corner and it is six possessions that you go without a touch which happens there too I just think with Denver there's more of a proof of concept of the players who are better than Michael Porter Jr. that almost force him to do that or it's like you just don't have a role here like that's the role that we have available on this team and there's too much gray area with Carl where it's like well actually wait am I the best player actually on the team what what am I doing in the corner I'm the okay even if I'm the second best player I should be doing more than Michael Porter Jr. does but I'm with you man it's at least for this series it makes sense to use Carl as a spacer and I think it's no coincidence that the two best quarters the Wolves played in this series were First quarter of game one, where they're running Conley and Anderson pick and roll, Carl spaced to the corner. And even though he wasn't doing anything out of that, Conley and Anderson got theirs. That that whole, as they were running pick and roll over and over again. And then same thing in the third quarter of game two, when the Wolves win that quarter, I think by like 17 points, it was finding Rudy on the roll, finding Rudy on the roll and getting downhill. And it's because Carl's in the corner. You can't leave that, just like you can't leave Michael Porter Jr. So yes, is this, is that, I'm with you. That's the right strategy. It's just, I think it's hard to implement strategy when you haven't done it before and you're not sure in your mind that you're forced to do it. Does that make sense? Of course. And uh, it, it, the first thing that really came to mind when, when you're talking about the, the pecking order and you're talking about the, the desire to be the first option, things like that, was the, the two timelines thing. Like, yeah. that's, that's got to be really frustrating. It's got to be really frustrating to think about saying, hey, you, the guy that you draft, first overall in 2020 might be better than the guy you draft first overall in 2015 in terms of actually leading the team in the direction of the franchise going forward. And that's got to be a tough place to be for, for everybody. Well, and involved. it's got to be Not confusing for Carl because they have with the Gobert move, they bet on the Carl timeline. Right. Yeah. 
And actually, I mean, that's my biggest frustration with all of it is like you kind of are ignoring the timeline. Now you don't have picks and all that. But I actually get that from Carl. You're like, all right, we made this trade. We're all in championship or bust. We're contenders to win now. And Carl's like, I'm 27, all NBA player. And it's the 21 year old that is really good, but is is figuring it out. It's just it's bizarre to make a bet on Carl. And then say, okay, go be Michael Porter Jr., right? Like that's just that therein lies the the issue with with this whole roster construction and, and timelines of the of this team. I wonder like the future of the T Wolves is like th- there's still like reasons to be positive. Like I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to like belittle that, but it, it's probably gonna have to come with a trade. It's probably gonna have to come with with breaking up these three in, in, in whichever direction that you want to go. And like, I can't imagine that if, if the best version of the team is for Carl Anthony Towns to be a floor spacer rather than all of the other things that he's good at, especially just offensively, that's, that's not a great place. That's, that's not a, that's not an exciting place to be. And uh, Gobert obviously limits your, the scope of what you can do offensively with him. Like you don't want them to just hang out in the short corner, but you've been talking about this before. The fact that Anton, Carl have not really developed that pick and roll chemistry. That's that's also an issue. Like those guys should be dynamic in a way that Anton Rudy, Jokic yeah, and Murray Anton Rudy, right? You said Anton uh, Carl. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess well, both. <laughs> I, well, I, I think that I think that Anton and Carl should yeah. have that chemistry too. Like, oh, I get what you're saying, but Rudy is getting in the way of that too. Yeah. Well, that's also true. <laughs> yeah, because like he's always he's always going to be in the short corner when he's out there. You yeah. need him out there to defend a guy like Jokic in this series, but yeah. like I just I think one of the other big issues for the for the T Wolves in the series is that if Rudy isn't out there, like Carl's just not good enough defensively either. Like like right. to anchor as a five, like you you need somebody out there who can do that. Denver struggled with that with Jokic for a while, but at least he does other things. Like he's yeah. going to be a great rebounder. He's going to be a good steals guy. He's going to execute the scheme at least to what he can do and i don't think he's he's really shown a lot of defensive weakness in this series other than right. hey oh. you can't you can't really defend anthony edwards in space sorry right. like, that's not, <laughs> that's not like, a lot of people can do that but but to your point of like the two most basic coverages which they've done and Jokic just executed well in terms of him being up or in the deep drop like Jokic has been able to diversify his coverages and that's yeah. that's been my thing with carl for, i mean last year they they just blitzed every pick and roll. They, they call it their high wall. And they just had Carl up the whole time. Like Finch, yeah. would, Finch said, we only have a fastball. And that's, you know, that's what they do. And, and it was Carl's best defensive year of his career. Like he, he was actually like good. I mean, above average. It was, in my opinion, it was the first year I was like, that is actually an above average uh, defensive center on the team, but it didn't have the diversity. Right. And that's something I know just following you guys with, with Jokic is finding that ability. They kind of, found that first, like Jokic, they had their first good defensive years or solid defensive years when Malone went to Jokic and said, how do you want to defend in coverage? And he said, I want to be up, which you're kind of like, what? You're slow. Like, yeah, don't do that. Exactly. But it's Jokic figured out how to do that. They figured out how to do that around him. And then they also play him in the drop, which he's not great at. Like he's not because so much of being in the drop is defending the rim, but he knows how to put his body in the way of people and, and do that. And what I love about Jokic defensively, even though that's obviously once we start listing positives of it, <laughs> is, is not up there. But I love that he plays defense understanding his weaknesses. And and a lot of that is right, like it's the kickballs and it's some of that sort of stuff. But it's like, I'm just here to like muck things up. I'm probably not going to stop much. And and I think Carl struggles with because he is significantly more athletic than than Jokic is, this idea that he can be more than just a mucker, right? In in terms of, of defense, like I can be a rim protector. You know, I can get out in coverage. I can switch actually. And in ways he can do all that stuff better than Jokic can, but it's when it's that sine wave, right? Of up and down and up and down. Like Jokic at least keeps you competent all, all the time. And, and there's times they get blitzed and it's hurt. It's probably going to hurt sure. them at some time in the playoff. But that is, I always think about Jokic and Kat defensively and, and watching Jokic kind of pretty well clear him in, in terms of defense. It's not about the skill sets those two have. It's it's about an understanding of what they can do defensively and, and honestly more so what they 
what they can't do and and making uh, adjustments accordingly. Ryan, let's uh, let's grab one more break here. And then obviously you are a a longtime knower of, of Tim Connolly. And it'd be dumb if I didn't ask you some some Tim Connolly questions. So we'll take one more break and uh, we'll close out with that. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I feel like I'm stressed every time I'm wanting to buy tickets to a Twins game or a concert in town, and I'm stressed because I don't know if I'm getting a good deal or not. And with the Game Time app, I feel confident, even if it's last minute, that I've purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. So if you're looking for tickets to one of these final Wolves home games, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're good. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so no need to dig through your emails. So snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back with Ryan Blackburn. Blackburn for thank you <laughs> for a, uh, a a final segment here. Um, I I love talking to yeah. Just when when the Tim Conley thing came through, you know, calling Adam and trying to understand, you know, what was one. I was like, you think Tim's going to take this? Like, this doesn't really seem like a Tim Connolly thing to me. And he's like, no, it doesn't seem like it to me either. They need to throw in the big bag of money. But I, I, I was more once it was like, okay, Tim Connolly's here, paper signed. He's the president of basketball operations. My mind goes to, well, how's he going to build this thing out? Right. And you start looking at where and how he did that in Denver. And it was kind of like a slow burn. Right. And and so that's kind of, you know, what I'm anticipating, you know, it's it's progress with Ant, build on what they've done and, you know, draft well, et cetera, et cetera. And then, boom, the, the Gobert trade happens. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like the least Tim Conley behavior of all time. If you're just going off the track record of what his behavior was for nine years in Denver, right? I think the biggest trade that Connolly made like there are two there are two that come to mind in terms of the biggest trades that Tim Connolly has ever made in a Nuggets uniform uh was in 2017 when he traded Yusuf Nurkic a distressed asset to Portland for Mason Plumley and he threw in a first round pick yeah. in order to get Nurkic out of there he's like I don't want to deal with this anymore you guys have him and and honestly I think that trade probably worked out better for Denver than it worked out for Portland, which is insane. <laughs> uh, it, that's just bonkers. Uh, but the other one is the Aaron Gordon move. And that was kind of a finishing move where you have uh, 
yeah, basically your, your vision of, of what's, what's happening. And you needed that other guy to really help clean things up. And they bring in Aaron Gordon for Gary Harris, uh, first round pick and, and RJ Hampton, somebody that they drafted who like, it, and honestly, I thought there was going to be a lot of that. I thought it was going to be a lot of, right. Hey, you, you have like, you're going to amass a chest of a, a war chest of young players of picks of guys that, Tim evaluates and says, this guy's going to be a good player and, and that's going to be the vision. And then when the Gobert deal happened, I, I think everybody was just absolutely floored about, about what that was about. And, and it doesn't seem like a Tim move at all. It just, it just doesn't. And, and I, I can't for Ryan, the life of me understand. Why I, I don't why. think it was a Tim move. Yeah. I, I, I got to imagine. I, I think I saw, I saw Alex Rodriguez in, in the, uh, yeah. in the the bowels of target center center uh last night and that's interesting like just wearing the the awesome white suit <laughs> wanted to be a flashy move and and i can i can understand if, if new ownership wanted to come in and make a splash and and that's um yeah. like it's like why would he why would he trade for rudy gobert of all people and double up at at center that just it didn't it didn't make a lot of sense yeah i mean and the line from from Tim and from Finch as we talked about him throughout the course of the year. And, and and there's obviously fragments of truth to this is that it's really difficult to get a what they view as a top 20 player in the league um, under contract, particularly when you play in a market like Minnesota, similar to Denver, um, where that's kind of how you got to go. If you're going to add a top 20, 30 player to your team. It's probably going to be via the trade market, and they saw one available, and and they jumped on it, and then they trusted Finch's belief, or their, they, they trusted their belief in Finch that he would be able to kind of, you know, finagle it. And obviously, that's at least in in year one is is proving to be naive to to say the least. But it's just, it just totally doesn't seem like uh, the history of who of who Tim Connolly has been. It honestly, it's what I've thought about over the course of time is it's a lot more like a Dell Demps move in the Anthony Davis window mm-hmm. um, in, in New Orleans, where you're kind of like more, you know, you're playing your hand more aggressively. Right. And, and you're, and you're, you're putting your chips in the middle as often as you can re up them, you know, Oh, we got more picks now. We're going to put them more in there. And I don't mean that completely as an indictment of Dell Demps, uh, you know, I think that whole Anthony Davis thing was probably more about Anthony Davis than it was about anybody else. But Dell Dumps is in the Timberwolves yeah. front office because um, Tim was there with him in in New Orleans, and Dell hired him, and Dell is here uh, in in Minnesota as well. And it's just, yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm looking for for you is just confirmation that this is not the history of Tim Connolly behavior, which I think we already know, but yeah, it, it Con- confirmation doesn't... granted there. That's, that's a, like everything about Denver's vision was hey, okay. In, in Tim's first couple of years, he tried to add a couple of veterans, tried to continue what was a, a good team. Like, I mean, the 2013 nuggets were, were really, really good. And obviously Masai leaves at that point, Tim comes in and they try to steady the ship, but they just don't have the soul of that team anymore because Daniel Gallinari is injured and Andre Godala's uh, Benedict Arnold's himself over to golden <laughs> state. Um, and like when you, when you don't have those, like that, the, the version of the team that like you're, you're trying to go for, you try to put together pieces that don't really make sense with without those main guys up there. It, it quickly fell apart. And so he quickly pivoted at that point, made, made some bad moves in, in that, initial phase but immediately went to are right, we're going to go young we're going to surround those young guys with a couple of the carryover veterans and we're going to try to build a culture long term of this is a player friendly place this is a mm-hmm. a young coach in michael malone who's a player friendly coach who's going to fight for you and and they tried to establish a culture that way through the the slow burn Mm-hmm. of of everything that that they could get and and they lucked into Nikola Jokic there's no doubt about that but uh, you have Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley who uh Timberwolves fans are familiar with uh got a, a lot Bruce. of young guys that have come through and and like Mike, Michael Porter Jr of yeah. course drafted in 2018 and uh Denver signs Paul Millsap that's their best signing in in 
free agent history and uh, Nuggets history. And uh, he helps change the culture that way. But it was always a slower process. And then you guys, you guys know that there was a point where these teams were very similar in their timelines with uh, with Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Zach Levine. And then you guys go the Jimmy Butler route in that like prior phase and Denver continued to stay the course. So I guess this is a long roundabout way of saying, no, it's, it's definitely not a Tim Connolly move to jump the gun that way without seeing what he's got. Like he, he would have, he, I, I, I don't want to immediately like, like not indict him for something like that because he's ultimately the guy who has the final say there, I think, but it, it still was a, like it was very uncharacteristic for him to do something like that. I haven't. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Nurkic. Uh, I haven't really explored this topic through a Wolves lens before, but as you called Nurkic, a distressed asset, and I, I think you could vouch probably significantly more distressed than anything, even with punches being thrown uh, in Minnesota, more distressed than uh, the Rudy Gobert asset is. But well, at least Rudy hasn't left the arena mid-game uh, yet. That's a that's a good thing that he probably shouldn't do, uh, Rudy, because Nurkic was was unhappy with his role off the bench and just up and left. And at, at well, Ryan, the game I, I don't know, know if you know this, but Rudy Gobert literally left the arena at halftime about two weeks ago after he punched Kyle Anderson. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, that that'll uh, that'll <laughs> probably that's a okay. Well, there might be some more similarities there than I initially thought. Uh, yikes! That's a. Ooh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. That, I I feel for you. I, I I just I don't I don't think though I I really don't think in all seriousness that the Gobert asset and the as I understand from Denver when when Nurkic was there like the cultural toxicity is is there like is the Rudy thing perfect absolutely not are there maybe even some issues in terms of leadership and stuff like that sure but it's not I don't think or you don't see Rudy like actively showing hate consistently for, for the team in the ways that Nurkic did. And ultimately my, my point being is Tim got to the point of saying, Hey, we need to make a bad trade to get off of this. And, mm-hmm. and he attached a verse to Nurkic to, to get Plumley. Um, and now I guess the difference there would, did he draft Nurkic? Yeah. He drafted Nurkic, right? He drafted Nurkic in the same draft that they drafted Jokic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the, Tim did have ties to him, and obviously he has every possible tie to to Gobert and five first-round picks stemming from those ties. Um, yeah. But do you... The big question I have going into the offseason is will Tim Connolly and the front office consider the possibility of admitting fault in in the move they made and make a corresponding move so as to not get deeper into the hole. And I know that sounds like it's an obvious thing and it's the responsible thing to do to think of this objectively, but if it was me and you, like honestly, if it was me and you and we put together, you know, they hired us to run the Timberwolves in July and we decided we made this grand gesture to, to get Rudy Gobert, I think at least subconsciously we would be wanting to hold on to that idea that it could work longer than maybe others who weren't tethered to the idea would. But do you think to just having followed Tim Connolly a lot more than I have that Tim could potentially admit fault, understand it is in fact a distressed asset and make a corresponding move in a way similar to, but probably greater than he did with Yusuf Nurkic. That's a hard question. Right? I don't, I don't think so. I, I honestly, I honestly don't think that he would trade him. Yeah. I think that it's not, it's not a pride thing. It's more of a belief thing mm-hmm. for Tim. Like Tim is, is a guy who, and isn't that a razor's edge too, right? It's, it's very, very much a razor's edge. Uh, he, he is a guy who went, when he drafts, when he drafts somebody, when you build a relationship with somebody, which which that's his thing. He is a relationships human being. He's one of the nicest, most open, uh, connected people in the NBA because of his relationships and because of the way that he carries himself in that way with both players, executives, everybody of the like. He yeah, media. Really I mean, you guys, at- you guys see 
Tim Connolly when you walk into Ball Arena and all of your faces are like beaming hugs. smiles. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, we we love Tim and and he's he he's developed relationships with just about everybody. He loves that aspect of this and is very very good at it. And the one thing, if if you could have a major criticism of his time in Denver, is that he waits too long mm. on veterans on guys that he has ties to guys that he believes in where yeah it probably should have happened that will barton was traded a year earlier than when he actually was and it took calvin booth taking over to actually make that move happen now do i think it it would have happened uh, eventually with tim yeah but he takes too long on these things he he likes to kind of kind of pull on the string a little bit, just just a little bit extra, yeah. just to see wh- whether it, if this is small sample size that a player is playing badly or the fit is bad, then, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens. But has he, Ryan, really has he ever tough. been right about that, though? I mean, I, I thought about the Barton one, too. Like, has there been a time where it's mm. like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he held on to it for another year after you guys were all like, got to trade this person, got to whatever. I mean, maybe Mike Malone. I think, right? I, I think Murray and Porter is also a really good example yeah. of that too, because the Nuggets have been bombarded with all of these veterans and and their trade requests over the course over these many years of hey, you want to pair Paul George with Nikola Jokic? All you got to do is give up Jamal Murray. <laughs> you want to pair James Harden with Nikola Jokic? All you got to do is give up Michael Porter. You want to pair all of these guys, and and Denver has held firm on that because they believe <laughs> in their team and they believe in their group, and it, it has made it so that they can have this experience now. But in the moment, you're like, I don't know. Like, it it feels like you're missing an opportunity right there. So I think if you're a Timberwolves fan, the vision is generally good. Like, the vision is upwards. It's an upward trajectory. And it might take longer than you think it does. And it might be a little bit of a roundabout way, more than you think it is. But I, I do believe in Tim's ultimate vision of, like making sure that everybody's pulling in the same direction, making sure that the team is ultimately a great fit, and you want guys that love to play the game of basketball and love to do it together. And that's that's how it was in Denver. I know the culture and and the the personalities are a little bit different in Minnesota, but if you've got a guy at the center of everything, an ant like that who can tie the room together, yeah. then that will really help. Now, I do think that Jokic has. But he's shown that maturity. He's shown that ability to lead by example. Is Ant going to be that lead by example guy that Tim can really put his hat on and say, yeah, this is this is who you have to emulate within the franchise. It's hard to do that with the current formula, right? Like just with the way that Carl's already there. No, man, Ant's got to be Jokic. an older guy. It's, it, it had to be Jokic for Denver. Yeah. And I think it's got to be ants in Minnesota, and it's just really hard to do it right now. Yeah, it is. Ryan, this has been this has been awesome. Uh, again, I uh, I think my l- listeners like it too, but I uh, I love getting uh, perspective from people on topics that know a lot more than I do uh, about those topics. I think particularly that this. I mean, I've talked about Tim Conley at length this year, of course, and haven't you know ever really gone down that that ladder rabbit hole that that we just did. I think it's. I think it's particularly interesting as this team eventually in a day or a couple days will be pressed with offseason mode and needing to kind of reconsider. And it's it's interesting to think about the times that Tim Connolly has reconsidered in, in Nurkic, hasn't reconsidered uh, to fault in, you know, Will Barton, some other move, Gary Harris, maybe uh, some other moves yeah. there. But also, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the Porter Jr. and and Jamal Murray points there because I, I think those two are just getting started in, in these playoffs. And uh, I think we're going to have a real shift in the Q score, particularly of uh, Michael Porter Jr. as as this uh, season goes on. And to some extent, that's a credit to Tim Connolly, as, as weird as that sounds. I think a lot of oh, I think a lot of gems would have uh, would have sent Porter Jr. packing. Um sometime between after when he was drafted in in 2018 so i'm fascinated to watch this uh this nuggets team the rest of the way uh, those of you who are listening make sure you fire follow god i'm struggling with my talking today follow <laughs> ryan blackburn uh on twitter at nba blackburn and uh, there you'll find his writing or at mile high sports and then the pickaxe and roll uh, podcast if you listen to this you see some value in, uh, in team-specific podcasts. So if you want to uh, dive into the Nuggets 
um, Ryan is is great at, at what he does. So Ryan, appreciate you being here. Thank you, Dan. I always appreciate you. And, and hopefully this this continues to go in the right direction for you guys. I know it's roundabout <laughs> way, but I, I'm sure it will come out on the other side. Yeah, well, one way or the other, we'll we'll be back. We'll be back next year. There there will be another basketball season at, at some point, and we'll we'll do it all over again. And I'm sure I'll I'll talk to you uh, before that. I'll, I'll see you in a couple hours too. Good to see you. All right, uh, he's Ryan Blackburn. Uh, I'm Dane. I'll be back to talk to you after Game Four. Uh, until then. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah This is the story of The One As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on That's why he works behind the scenes Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.